Here we are, Jeremy, fourth week in a row. I'm doing some cross-promotion. Give me a minute. That's a uh, podcast from my colleague, Mia Gradney, here at KHOU11. Um, any podcast that you'd like to cross promote while we're while we're here? I'm, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with baseball things and Jason uh-huh. Churchill and out of Seattle, and I, I feel like that's one people should listen to. He's pretty good. He's knowledgeable. He's done this for a while. I mean, you know, look, Jason's a good baseball guy, and um, you know, is 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 a is really it's really a fun list to be honest with you. So I listen to that one. That was pretty good. I I, I didn't expect you to come up with anything. I thought you were just gonna say. No, I'm good. Let's let's move on to this one. So, um, bravo, Jeremy, bravo. <laughs> yeah, well, I got to promote Jason's stuff. It's good stuff. And and while I'm at it, I'm gonna drop a plug for Keith Law's podcast too. That's a pretty good one as well. Yeah, so. yeah, that is. I mean, I mean, it's Keith Law. Come on, right? Good. Hey, by the way, speaking of podcast, any um, what kind of reaction did you get last week from your comments on the Phillies? And how some people there need to, well, excuse me, one person there needs to be, not have a job anymore. Well, it, it went a little bit, if we're going to, I mean, let's, let's, let's just put it back out there. It went a little further than this guy doesn't need to have a job. I volunteered to pay my own way to be the guy to fire him. And I hope that Dave Dombrowski heard that. And I hope that he gives me a phone call and says, hey, man, look. You know, just one day, like we can't do this without you paying your own way because it's not legal. But you know what? I'm going to hire you as a consultant for one day. You want to do it? You want to do? I hope he gives me that phone call. And uh, you know, if what I really actually like is that they, it's like a Groundhog Day thing on a loop where I can go into Clearwater and keep him there for seven days in a row. You're you're fired. We don't need you tomorrow. Come back in tomorrow. We'll talk about it. you're fired. That's what I want to do. I want to do that with him. No, in, in all seriousness. Wait a minute. That was serious. I really do want to do that. But to answer the question, um, the affiliates, the Phillies affiliates and their offensive approach has been ridiculously poor. The production has been worse than that. Um, They haven't produced any hitters on the major league roster. You know, this 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 hitting philosophy beyond the human being, the hitting philosophy has been there for a few years now. It has very clearly been tested. It has very clearly been found wanting, and it's time to be dismissed. Okay, that is just facts. That's facts. They haven't produced. That's it. Um, I think around the game, people are ready for this this group of people uh, and group of teaching. Let's say uh, to exit. I think that both um, what you would call more forward thinking people, and I don't know why we classify them that way, and traditionalists are ready for this. So I, I don't think it's a it's an issue where there's any kind of, of concern over what I said. I, some people thought it was funny that I was willing to volunteer to do it, but I, I'm dead serious. Like they, they, these guys to me just need to, they need to beat it twice, three times every day. Like if there's something, if one of them raised their hands in school, I'd be like, I, I'm not calling on you. Like it, this, there's nothing, this, no, there's no value. So it's time to go. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I, the person I feel for actually, and this is Josh Bonifay. I feel for Josh Bonifay because Josh, kind of had his hands tied and it was kind of, I don't say forced on him, but you know, Josh had a boss and Josh had listened to what his boss had to say. And it was very clear these guys hunted. And this is not my words. When I repeat this, but I am going to paraphrase driveline employees, thinking people. And um, the driveline has been very good at teaching people how to throw. That's it. 
and really throw hard is what I would say. They, you know, they haven't been good at, at, at teaching people how to be productive baseball players. So I don't have a, um, there's no business to be in that type of position. They need to go back and focus on improving what they do well or improving people in the vein they do well as guys who don't throw hard and making them throw harder. It's interesting when you talk about the Phillies and their development system. I worked in Pennsylvania. I was there for more than a decade. Certainly the Phillies are the most popular team, if not one of the most, they're one of the most popular teams, if not the most popular teams. And I was there right when I guess the fruits of the labor were coming to fruition. And I think it was Mike Arbuckle who was the scouting director at the time, Jimmy Rollins in 96, uh, Chase Utley in 2000, Ryan Howard in 2001, Pat Burrell, Cole Hamels. That was a pretty good string of draft picks. And really since that time, the Phillies, they've really done nothing on a development from a development standpoint and drafting standpoint. Well, the, you know, the, the two go hand in hand. You know, I, I would say that, um, I would honestly say that Brian Barber and, and some of the scouts they have now are, are good scouts. I, I don't, you know, Marty Wolliver did a good job after uh, Arbuckle. Um, you know, Marty did a really good job when it came to his draft picks um, and helping that team go forward, had some very productive years. Um, you know, Brian's been there, you know, one draft, maybe this is his second draft, 2021. He took Abel in 20, and that was kind of an unfair season, really, for anybody because you didn't get a whole lot of spring. Um, you know, and he took high draft this year, but you know, development side, they've been a disaster. And, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what these guys have turned over. And here's a, here's a good test. Like, so Mick Abel is, Mick Abel is like driving a, an Escalade Deluxe. Like he is absolutely a frontline starter, no doubt, big equipment, body, beautiful length and finish. And I mean, pick a, pick a scouting adjective, right? He checks out metric wise. He checks out makeup wise. Like if you mess that up, Mick's going to get there without your help because that's just who Mick is. But if you mess that one up, that's kind of what they, you know, that that's a pretty good test for what they had. And, you know, I can tell you this and, and, and I know, you know, I know Mick, He's such a classy human being that he doesn't say a bad word about anybody. It's just who he is. Um, great family. I, I can tell you this much. What I've got out of my people who have seen the Phillies player development is, is that Mick was actually ironically injured um, in a game pitching against another one of our alumni, Deson Brown, and the Blue Jays affiliate down there in, in, uh, in Florida. Ironically, last time they faced each other, Mick hit Deson on the knee. Well, when they played again, this time it's pros, Mick hit the sun again. So, I mean, that was just an, an ironic thing. But it's it's been six weeks or so, and, and they just let Mick touch a ball again the other day. And he wasn't beat up like that. It, was, it wasn't that type of thing. How, why are you setting the guy's development backwards? So um, I, I think that you're looking at more players like that. Moniak is, was not a 1-1 a type of guy. And, okay, more players like that that are going to be set backwards that were really good draft picks. Um, that are developing either other places or won't have a chance to develop in Philly unless they make this type of change. Um, I will stop right here and I will say this though. As good as the scouting department is, if player development is not overhauled in a way that does have some more current thinking along with the traditional stuff that hold true, they're going to fail again. This, this brand of player thinks a little differently. Right. And you want to be able to install things at each level 
that will give them something to shoot for, have markers to advance. Uh, they go far beyond traditional statistics or even, or even the, the analytics uh, that we've come to know. You wanna find a balance that can give you consistent, measurable data on field and performance and off field and raw, uh, along with their makeup and when, and when they're ready to challenge them. And, and, and bringing in somebody who's kind of a retread, um, and I don't mean guys that are good that are doing something else. I mean, just retreads because you're familiar is a, is a mistake and bringing in somebody who doesn't have any kind of feel, that's also a mistake. But you can see why they're being cautious with Mick Abel when, when you consider how much money they have invested in him. Why wouldn't they play it safe? You, the player, yeah, the players will let you know, and, and, and Mick is an aggressive guy. But that's, but that's also why perhaps sometimes you have to save guys from themselves. I'm not saying that's the situation here, but sometimes, especially players early on, they want to prove they're worth the signing bonus and all the attention. And I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a bad thing to pump the brakes and be extra cautious with a, with a guy like Mick Abel, who is, I, I imagine you believe is a one, one. I mean, I think, I think Mick should have gone the first five picks of the draft and they stole him at pick ironically 15 right there over my shoulder. They stole him at that. Um, you know, but, but that said, if, you know, Mick's, Mick, each player's individual, there's no blanket, you know, solution to this, right? So if Mick is, depends on what the tweak was, what the problem was, what his body's telling you, and, and okay, maybe you give it a little bit extra time on top of it, but you don't shut him down for three weeks longer than he needs to. You got to build him back up and give him some season, right? Remember, we're talking four or five weeks, and, and this is a that's a that's a general timeline, right? Maybe even six weeks from when he was he was actually playing. But I, if it's if it's me, I'm listening to what my medical staff is saying. I'm listening to him. I'm watching him work his way back. I'm not shutting him down from whatever amount of time it was before he touches a baseball again. That's a bad move. That's starting you all the way back over in spring training. That doesn't work. Season's over. Mick Abel is in the class of past first-round picks you've had. Grayson Rodriguez, Espino, Espino from the Indians. I mean, Grayson right now is probably one of the top 10 prospects in baseball. Yeah, he, he's the best pitching prospect in baseball is what they're saying. And, and I say I have to put it that way, Jason, because um, I, I haven't seen all of minor league baseball. So I, I can't say that it's my opinion. It has to be somebody, it's somebody else's. What I can tell you for Grayson is that he's probably a two-starter in the big leagues. And he's such a physical kid that the workhorse means he could be a number one. Um, you know, he definitely settles into a three. He's not going to go backwards and sideways and, and, and be worse than that. But he's a front of the rotation, physical, 200-plus inning type of guy. And um, he's in the right place to do it for an opportunity because those guys are terrible. The Michael Elias led Baltimore Orioles. They're terrible. So, um, you know, we never discussed Michael Elias on this show at all. And I just, I feel like maybe I should mention him once. Um, anyway, great. Yeah. Mick, Mick Abel is, is a different body than either one of those two. He is the type of guy who has his very similar makeup to Grayson, never won't be denied, competes. Stuff's a little bit different. Mick's got, you know, all four. Grayson's more of a three pitch. A type of guy or was, um, you know, power stuff, power stuff on both sides. Mick has a little bit different chance to have some feel, but Mick is so new at it. He's going to have to go out and prove it. Grayson's now proved it to this point and we'll see where that goes. But yes, he's in that, in that type of class of first round arms that we've had here. I don't want to go down a Phillies rabbit hole here, but the Philadelphia Inquirer last year at this time did an article on Mike Arbuckle's because he was retiring after 40 years and 16 with the Phillies his hits and misses starting with the 93 draft all the way up to 
2008. And um, boy, there was a stretch there. And also, you can't forget Carlos Ruiz as well, who was an international signing. But, you know, in 99, well, 98, you got Pat Burrell. 97, you had Randy Wolf. 98, Jason Michaels, Ryan Madsen, Nick Punto. 99, Brett Myers, Marlon Bird, 2000, Chase Utley. I mean, right there, that makes up a draft by itself with Chase Utley. 2001, Gavin Floyd, Ryan Howard. Uh, 02, Cole Hamels. 03, Michael Bourne. 04, Jay Happ, although they picked Greg Golson first. 2005 was a miss with Mike Costanzo. They got Josh Outman in the 10th round. 2006 was, was a tough one. Kyle Drabeck, Jason Donald, Adrian Cardenas. 2007, Joe Savory was a miss. Travis Darno. they had to be determined, I would say. What would you say, a miss or a hit on Travis? Yeah, he's a hit. I mean, just really? Because, yeah, it depends what you thought he was. You know, where did they take him again? 37, 37th overall. Yeah, that's so sandwich miss. picks. I mean, that's, that's probably, a miss. That's a miss up there, yeah. But uh, anyways, 2008, Vance Worley, Trevor May, Jared Cozart. So, um, and I, the reason I looked was I just wanted to make sure that Cole Hamels was in that Arbuckle era, if you yeah. will. So, yeah. uh, hey, staying in the National League East, you know, the last podcast, you kept saying to me, my life, everything is, everything is flowing to the Mets. Everything is pointing to New York. Arrows. I think that's, I think that's what you said, right? So there's arrows in my life that are pointing to New York, whatever Okay. Reason. And now we know it was the Mets because you recently announced that your premier event, right. New main, Balance, event. Fu- main event, New Balance Future Star Series is now being played at City Field in New York. Uh, listen, Boston's great. Don't get me wrong, but it's New York. And to bring all of your top players there to experience all of that. Wow. I mean, that is something that these kids will remember for their, their entire life. I don't care if they go to become big leaguers or what, they will definitely remember that moment. Um, I knew, cause you kind of gave me a hint that this might be coming, but the, when, when you were able to nail this down, um, was it a sigh of relief? Was it I'm pumped? Like what were your reactions when you were able to, to move to city field? Um, well, the first thing you think about is, is, is you want to be thankful for the Red Sox baseball operations staff. And those guys have been great. Uh, Mike Rickard, uh, Devin Pearson, you know, their scouting director, I guess is in a second year now, Paul Taboni, um, even Hein Bloom and some of the things he's done, you know, Ben Crockett, their farm director is a former teammate of mine. Um, my first big leaguers are coaching their organizations. There's a lot of, of you know connections over there for me and the Red Sox and and very thankful for their efforts to to bring this to Boston and keep it in Boston um you know going forward we'll do something in Boston probably much earlier in the summer um that kind of maybe leads into this event that's going to be in City Field but the Mets you know when we asked about this when it became clear that um how do we say this the Red Sox business side um had uh was going to was going to some of the decisions they made would prevent us from having the experience there we want to have okay um and that's between them and new balance and you know we'll still have an event there like i said going forward but when that became evident to be honest with you i got on the phone to 
the Mets and, and New Balance Global Marketing got on the phone to the Mets. And so, I mean, you know, the Mets baseball operations uh, department, like I said, jumped on a minute, jumped on this in seconds. And New Balance is, is happens to be a sponsor of the Mets. You know, they have a, a marketing deal in place and they called their marketing people. The, the, vet, the dates were open um, and we get everything we need. We get clubhouses, we get a scoreboard, we get all three dates at City Field, we get uh, you know, no alternate sites. It's a big deal. These, you know, these guys get to be treated like big leaguers for three days. That's the whole point is to teach them how to be big leaguers, not just treat them and throw, you know, worthless, worthless is a bad word. Let's say um, uh, topical dressing parties. We want to go ahead and teach these kids how to play and understand the life and what they need to do. Uh, there's other groups that do that. Uh, USA Baseball has schedules with, you know, sometimes these guys are learning, obviously, the development program through MLB. There's some stuff with that, with their uh, schedule keeping and what they need to do for, for, for preparation. And, we're, you know, we're of the same mindset. Obviously, we've done that. We're not interested in just having a show. We want to actually play baseball and teach them what to do. But you're on the biggest sports stage in the world. You are with, um, as I told the boys the other night, uh, we had our Zoom call. I said, if you play for five seconds in New York, on any sports team, I don't care if it's soccer or football or basketball or baseball or hockey, they're going to remember you for the rest of your life that you played for that team. It's just not, it's not something that's passive and you can't say that about everywhere. There's a lot of guys that play for the Kansas city Royals that no offense to them. I have no idea who they are. It is the, it's, it's New York city. And so it's pretty good. It's going to be a lot of fun to, uh, to go to New York and very, very excited to do so. And then minutes before we were about to tape this podcast, the news comes out regarding the front office of the New York Mets. The uh, Here's the article directly from the New York Post. It's another thumbs down for the Mets. Ooh. Acting general manager Zach Scott is facing driving while intoxicated charges after he was busted dozing in his car in Westchester County down the block from the police station, the Post has learned. Scott, who's 44, nabbed in White Plains at 4.17 Tuesday morning when cops caught him snoozing in a 2018 Toyota near the federal courthouse and police headquarters. The embattled GM refused to give blood or submit to a breathalyzer, but underwent a field sobriety test and failed. Certainly people have problems outside of work, it is um, a big problem for an organization when a decision maker is making these kinds of decisions. Um, well, um, I'm going to have to go ahead and, and have some qualifiers here when I address this, and I'm going to I will address it. Do you want to um, just punt it? No, nah, I'm not going to do that because that's not my style, and and if I punt it. You know, somebody's going to say, why are you punting it just because we're going to City Field? I mean, here, here's the reality. Nobody in the Mets organization, nobody from the ownership through Zach Scott, through scouting department to play. Nobody is going to be proud of this incident. OK, um, we have a report that the, the interim general manager, you know, failed uh, a field sobriety test. OK, so that's you know, that's something that he's going to have to deal with and the organization's going to have to address and look into. Um, you know, since then, Jeff Passan has, has reported that, you know, Zach Scott said that, or it's not said, but that Zach Scott quote was at owner Steve Cohen's house prior to that in Connecticut. I don't have any more information on that. And, and frankly, if, if that's the case, I, I had a hard time believing Steve Cohen would let him leave the house inebriated. 
Post is also reporting hours before he was busted, Scott was at Mets owner Steve Cohen's home for a team fundraiser with other players. Other players, sources told the Post. The Mets say, we take this matter very seriously. Zach will not be traveling with the team for our upcoming road trip while we learn more and determine next steps. Yeah, so that, that sounds to me like he was there for a fundraiser. Fundraiser ended. He left and then went on and had some other you know, more time with his night, right? Um, the Mets have, have not had a good, as an organization, have not had a good year. And um, I, I think that that's safe to say um, from ownership down, I think they'd all agree with that. I do think there are good people in that organization. I, I, I know I know there are good people in the organization. And, you know, the one thing I'll say about the people I know that they're good people is that they'll win together, they'll lose together. They're not going to bat it. Just, that's who they're, what they're going to do. So that's a credit to them. Um, but if you, if you go back over it, it's been an interesting year. I mean, it's, it's, it's a great spot to be. It's a seemingly has a lot of potential to be part of that organization and, and some great things they can do. But um, some of the decisions that have been made just flat, flat out haven't worked out. You've got Jared Porter, um, which obviously we know that was a disaster. You've got uh, the Mickey Calloway saga, which, you know, that was a disaster, even though he was in Anaheim, Los Angeles, Angeles of Anaheim, when all this came out about what happened with the Mets. You've got their ex-hitting coordinator, which was Kevin Ryan Ellis. It was Ryan Ellis, who had similar issues that was quietly dismissed from the organization. You have, um, uh, you know, the, the and you can't blame anybody for this in the scouting department, but Kumar Rocker didn't work out in the first round. It's kind of like a, a cherry on top. It's not like this their fault, you know, with what was going on. What I would, it's, I, no wonder they didn't sign him, but still, I mean, that's, that happened, right? Um, you have, uh, you know, now Zach Scott, the interim general manager, um, you know, with, with this and, and in the middle of that somewhere, you had a team that was riding high a little bit in the first place for a while, um, be, be exposed for a little bit of roster construction that I'm sure that they had to do over, they do back, have, want to have back and, and, and not have a whole lot of depth and, and, and really just how poor their player development has been, um, you know, really showed up this year. And when you, when you fire Chili Davis and, and you fire, uh, you know, Slater and you fire those guys and you replace them with, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, who you replaced them with. And Kevin Morgan was one of the guys, uh, Kevin Morgan, uh, Kevin Howard was one of those guys who they brought in who was supposed to help run player development after firing another bad player development situation. They bring this guy in and he's immediately brought it to the assistant hitting coach and leave player development in the hands of the assistant. Look, these guys have not, it's just not gone well. Like it's just not gone well. And um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It's above my pay grade. It's not my business. It's, um, I say this because I feel bad for some people and I hope that some good people over there aren't caught up in that. Um, you know, look, and if I'm being honest, personal disclosure, I mean, I go back with Sandy Aller since the time I was five years old. That's, that's the thing that I haven't said a whole lot about because, you know, people say, Hey, you know, and somebody will look at me, Jay, and you know me pretty well, you know, after four or five years now, and you'll say, Hey man, you're dancing a little bit. You're choosing your words carefully. Cause man, when I go after Jeff Luna, man, here we go. And I can tell you that I've known Sandy since I was five. My dad and the position that I was in, with or he, he was in, um, in the game and the things that I was brought up in, I've known Sandy Alderson since I was five years old, to the point where several years ago, before he stepped down the first time, 
we were in me and, a, and a, a group I was consulting with were in City Field talking to their you know some people. My dad, without telling me, went ahead and let Sandy know I was there. Um, you know, and and I said I don't want to bother him, and they said no, nope, go down there. So I walked down there um, and saw June, his his uh, his assistant at the front. Sandy was walking back and forth in his office on the phone. Door was open. He got off his call, pulled me in, and sat for an hour. And I just saw, I, I know, I hadn't seen the guy since I was like nine. Like I hadn't seen him. He was like, Jeremy, come on in. Saw him at winter meetings a couple years later or, or later that year. You know, he's, he's not, he's a, he's a good, he's, he is a good guy. He's good. He's, he's done a lot of things in the game. He's, and, and he's, he's a, a very ethical guy. And some of the things that he's done, it, it's disappointing to see these choices go the way they've gone. Um, and, you know, so look, you know, they're going to have to address some things over there in New York and, and figure out what that direction is they want to go. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Sandy, hopefully, when I'm in New York. And, and I know I'll see Tommy Tanis and, and Mark Tremuda there. And, and there are some good people in that organization, but it's been a tough year. It has been a tough year. So I uh, am a subscriber to Esquire magazine. This is the new episode or issue with Owen Wilson on the front. And in the back, there's this. And it says... The Esquire editorial board endorses the baseball fight. <laughs> and really, it comes down to this. Because frankly, and we say this with, with no pleasure, baseball is boring right now. It's mired in unwritten rules and low batting averages. And there's a dearth of Yanks and Sox chucking fastballs at one another's backs. We're craving on-field tension so palpable that someone just has to tear off his batting helmet and punch the chew, sorry, bubblegum, out of another player's maw. <laughs> we want more baseball fights. We endorse them. You want me to start? The one that always sticks out to me is Hunter Strickland and Bryce Harper. Uh, let me say this. Um, the overtone, overriding tone of that article is that baseball is boring right now. That's that's the overriding tone. They're looking for some some kind of action, WWE style, you know, throwing elbows and body slamming people and Mike Tyson punch out. And they're looking for something like that. And 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 that's not that's not baseball. Baseball is played with a different style and a little bit different class. Matter of fact, watching and this I will say, watching some of the antics of Javi Baez in Chicago and, and of course obviously now on the biggest stage in New York watching Amir Garrett in Cincinnati, some of those things, that stuff is tired. Nobody wants to be part. It's just tired. Like if I don't care if it's football, basketball, baseball, that stuff's tired. There's no, there's no place for that. Um, baseball takes a lot of discipline to play and that means controlling your emotions. So the fights aren't part of it. What I do hear though, is that baseball has a problem with how boring it is for fans. And that has a lot to do with strikeouts and walks and swings and misses and, and shifts and, and, and true outcomes. And people are looking to, to like baseball again and find ways to do it. And the fights are part of it. That said, the commissioner's office has definitely put rules in play that would keep people from the game from policing itself on the field. And some of that excitement of, being able to police the game, police yourselves on the field and take care of it um, in your own environment does need to come back into it. So I personally think they just need to put more action back in and maybe avoid the fist fights if at all possible, play the game with some more class. But I certainly understand why they'd want to see some, some fire out of some players. Thumbs up, not thumbs down. 
<laughs> I think, yes, with a lack of action, that's what this is all about. Well, you know, the game, the game moves on pretty quick. And I say this because we all know who Trevor, Trevor Bauer is, right? I mean, we all know who Trevor is. Um, when was the last time you thought about Trevor Bauer? The last time I thought about Trevor Bauer was when his legal issues were in the news about a couple of weeks ago. Right, but only because he was brought up. The game doesn't care. And that's what these people need to realize who are playing it. The Javi Baez's and the, and the um, uh, I mean, I, I, Manny Ramirez's. And I'm just throwing names out there. You know, the, uh, the AJ Pollock's. Like, the game does not care. It's not going to remember you when you stop playing. It's not just going to keep moving on. And if you're Barry Bonds and you're something like that, who's made a lasting impression on it. Yeah. They'll remember when your name's brought up, but you played for this person, did that person. But Bauer is one of the best pitchers in the game and nobody cares. Why did you mention AJ Pollock? Was it just a name that came to head? Yeah. I'm just throwing out random names. Like these are okay. all different role guys. Like, you know, Manny Ramirez should be a hall of famer on his stats and, you know, Pollock's a pretty good player in LA now and Bias is a totally different type of player in New York. And I'm just throwing guys out there that, you know, people remember, um, you know, that you played when your name was brought up again, but you're not going to be on the tip of everybody's tongue anymore. It's just, it's not the way that works. And, and, and I guess I say that because, um, you know, the impact you leave on the game is, is how you're remembered. And, uh, you know, the, the, the fighting and all the things we're talking about here is, it, you don't want to be a member for that. Amir, Amir Garrett, people don't want him to be on their team. I don't. I would never want that. Bauer, no. Like Bregman, one of the best things Bregman did was grow up. Stop doing this. What's that thing line in the movie? You're doing this. I need you to do this. You're doing a lot of this. I need you to do this. You know, I mean, guys that do that are the ones you remember and you like. Same thing. This is interesting. Nationals executive Bob Boone is resigning his post rather than fulfill the team's vaccination mandate. According to uh, Zachary Faria, I assume he's maybe a Washington Post reporter. I'm looking at John Heyman's, uh, John Heyman's feed. But uh, listen, not to get political, but if your workplace requires it, there you go. That's, well, this, is that's, what, this, is, this is what we wanted, right? I mean, on either side of the political aisle is what people said. If we're going to leave it to, I don't think anybody wants to see government, the government mandate um, and I'm sure there's some people that would, but I don't think most people would like to see the government mandate all of us have to get a vaccine. I think we're leaving it to individual decisions because that's the United States and our, and our rights to what we do with our body. But that said, individual decision means workplace and business owners can make their individual decision too. And if they decide that you need to be vaccinated to work there, guess what? You gotta do it. It's, it's the way it is. That's it's not always about it's not about individual selective. It's either individual or it's not. Some individual owns that business, and some individual is going to make a decision. And if that individual makes a decision you don't like, deal with it. Do we have time for a quick scouting report? Let's go. So this one I pulled up because he pitched the other night against the Astros. And it's a really impressive, really impressive report, I think. I mean, granted, you had him as a major league setup role, which is basically what he is. Oh. Your fastball, you had him at 92. I thought that was um, 
There obviously was a little more in the tank. Who is it? I'm trying to get the uh, setup in major league role, projectable, athletic, yeah. physically imposing lefty with arm strength. Secondary stuff is a work in progress, flashes some feel, attacks the zone, is unafraid of contact, will add velocity as he fills out and matures, walks from his arm and puts stress on his elbow, has missed time each of the last two seasons with elbow issues. If I give you the school, you're going to know body. Oh, body comparison. Darren Oliver. Went to uh, San Jack. Taylor wait, Hearn. Taylor Hearn. Yeah. Taylor Hearn. Lean, projectable, oh. square shoulders, flat chest, high waist, long body. Yeah, I remember him. He's had a, yeah. Taylor had a pretty good arm, always has been. Our area scout at the time who ended up becoming the Midwest supervisor when I went over to take the West, um, Jesse Capellish was a, was very, very, was on this guy, like white, white on rice, brown on rice. So he saw us on rice. He was on rice. He was on this guy. So um, this guy was pretty good. He's athletic. He was a lot of fun. I think the Rangers ended up taking him eventually. And he signed with them. Actually, I think he's still with them. So um, yeah, you know, big arm potential. No, he was drafted by the nationals actually. Nationals. Okay. So you ended up with Texas. But, so, I mean, here's the thing, this guy, has been coveted ever since he was first available. He was drafted in 2012. He was drafted in 2013. He was drafted in 2014. And he was drafted in 2015 and finally signed. He was a fifth round pick of the Nationals and signed. You had him in the... Now, granted, this was a couple years before. This is a 2013 report. So you had him. You had him as a ten round, a tenth round guy that year. He was picked in the 36th round, and you said must take at 20. So you were ahead of the game on that one. Yeah, he was. It was a work. It was such an athletic work in progress that he wasn't something somebody was going to pop early. Um, you know, you have to believe in your development system to go ahead and, and take the athlete like that that has a good arm and has upside and make something out of that player. That's a fun player to have if you can do it, but not everybody can handle that. Um, you know, good for him. He's a good kid. He went in the fifth round. He went, so was he two years at San Jack, 13 and 14, and then San Jack. Some Pirates, I want to say, took him out of high school. Pirates took him out of high school. He went to San Jack, drafted by the Reds, second season at San Jack, drafted by the Twins. Then he chose to transfer to Oklahoma Baptist. And after one year there, went by went to the Nationals in the fifth round. Again, here's a guy you can kind of dream about a little bit because yeah. he was also traded twice. He was traded by the Nationals to the Pirates in the Melanson deal, and then he was traded from the Rangers, uh, from the Pirates to the Rangers. So, um, yeah, there you go, Jeremy. Well, good for Taylor. He's a good kid. And Jesse Interesting. Did. Suffered a fracture in his elbow during rehab in June of 2019. But that, you know, that's, he's had a lot of stress on his elbow, according to my report. And even back then, there's a lot of things he did walking from his arm and his delivery. And, um, you know, there's a lot of arm stress in there. So arm injuries are going to be something that's going to follow this guy. And the thing about that is that limits his, his durability, obviously, because that's workload, that's innings, that's type. And that puts him uh, squarely in the bullpen. But he's left-handed. I want to say he was at least 6'5", 6'4", 6'5". Yeah, left-handed and, and had an idea to be able to have at least something else to pitch off the fastball to get guys out. And I thought he didn't throw him pretty hard. I think I, I think I gave him a 65 fastball. This is all memory. What I give him in the future? I'm checking 55 fastball. Now or, or at present or in future. the future? Present was 45, 55 future. So I jumped a grade, yeah. 
So maybe I thought he had to do that to throw just to throw strikes, but he's probably somewhere around. And of course, this was a younger, this is a younger version of the kid too. Yeah. But you know what, if you're a good scout, you should be able to sniff that out. I mean, I was probably a little different on his fastball grade because I probably wasn't, not probably, I wasn't convicted at the time looking back on this and his ability to throw really hard and having these kind of control. Right. I probably thought he had to pitch 92, 93 miles an hour to stay in the strike zone. What's his average velocity been? Is really, do we know? Oh goodness, you got to ask me that. Well, huh? now, now I'm curious because it was, you know that. Well, he's enjoying right now. He's enjoying his best season. Now, granted, he's only been up a couple of years, but he's pitched 77 innings, and he um, he's striking out one per per inning. 37 games. He's uh, his, he has an ERA under four. So. According to Baseball Savant, or here's MLB.com, he's at 94.9 average. Okay, so I thought he pitched 92, 93, so it was a little bit more in the tank. So he's I topped out at, he's top. I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. He's topped out at 98.2. Yeah, I should have given him a six fastball. So I was a little bit light on my fastball rate. That's what I should have given. But it's, um, you know, that's, the upside was there. I thought, he, you know, even then, topping out at 98, and having a playable velocity really of 94, let's call it 95 and round up. You know, it's another half a grade. That's what it is. So, you know, good for him. He's, he, he, was a, he was a kid who never quit, and he was definitely somebody that guys liked. And the one that did the really good job on that was our area scout, Jesse Capellish, who's right, Jeremy. Now, a, now a national guy for the Mariners. Jesse well, is. There you go. All right, Jeremy, I think we've uh, hit on everything. So, again, talk next week. Yeah, we'll do it next week. Getting All closer right. to playoff time. All right. So next week, until that time, like, subscribe, do all that other stuff, and we'll talk to you next time on Extra Bases.